Would you open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 6? And if you don't have a Bible, would you flip your card over? It's that easy. Now, as uh, before we turn to the Word, I want to share with you, uh, I want to help you experience a sensation that I think will be useful to us uh, when we get to the Word, um, an emotion uh, that I think even if you never, never had had this experience, I think you'll be able to identify with this experience because it shows up in all different forms. But for those of you who have children, um, think back to the time when you had uh, the next child. Okay, so though it would work even with your first, you, you, the third child is born, and you come home, and, and your husband and you, for those first weeks, you know what life looks like. Uh, right? Uh, I, it's just crazy. Uh, and it, the life is oriented around the beating heart of that little child and maintaining the other kids. There's always that, what are they going to think? How will they adjust? And, and so things, things that might normally, you might normally care for in a marriage, they're kind of set aside because you're doing the work that the home demands in, in a very unusual way. And this happens for uh, six weeks. Some of you may be in the, like in the middle of it now and you're on six months and you, you haven't been reprieved. But somewhere between six weeks and four months uh, is that ability to begin to return to normalcy. And the sensation I want to offer you is, is this one. It's the time when... It's 8.30, and they're all asleep. And you come down, and you sit on the couch with her or him, and he's holding something, and you're like, what is that? And you say, it's the TV controller. <laughs> it has a button you can push, and good things will happen. Push it, push it, because you haven't done this in six weeks. You haven't sat together in six... Four months. You haven't done this. In fact, you've been subtly angry at each other for why isn't the other one doing that thing that needs to be done because the child will not stop demanding, demanding things. And so, you know, you're putting it on and maybe the wife is thinking she's going to snuggle and the husband's thinking, it's back, right? All of that's happening and this great moment and obviously the Lord approves of it. It's, it's good, you're working on the marriage. It's happening. And right as you push on, and you, if you have on-demand or whatever, it takes a while to boot up, so there's that black screen. What's going to happen? And then you hear it. Don't you? You hear it. it sounded like that. <laughs> right? And you know the feeling. that feeling? It doesn't have to be with children. I think we can all get close to this sensation of being so close to something good, so close to something that you know is right and is good, and it is within reach, and then the sound shows up, and you are like, you have got to be kidding me. Well, this, I think, is 
I believe this is a sensation in the hearts of the disciples today. As we read through Mark chapter 6, I believe something like this is in them. And, and the Lord is going to minister to it. He's going to minister to us in the way that we continue to show love to people that maybe are not that attractive right now to us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, but really I'm concerned with 30 to 37. Now, I've, we've selected this passage for uh, two reasons. One, this was preached on in, in the fall through the Gospel of John, the feeding of the 5,000. So it's familiar to you. Uh, we, uh, I'm grateful that you have something that's generally familiar. Even if you weren't even there that Sunday, many are familiar with this account. And I, I want to rely a little bit on your familiarity. So that's the first reason. The second reason is when it preached in the fall, it never left us. It never left Terry, Jeff, and I. This story, this account has plagued me uh, for six months. It's been, it's been here. It needs to preach. It, it demands the right to preach. And so that's the second reason. And, and I'm going to really concentrate. I'm not going to concentrate on the miracle hardly at all, the actual feeding of the 5,000. We're going to concentrate uh, all the way up through 37, but I'm going to read all the way through 44 just so that uh, we're operating on the same story. Here's Mark chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. See it? The couch. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And it grew, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. So I'll keep reading. But mark it. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fishes. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Okay, if you uh, just look at the 30th verse, you'll see that the twelve returned. The, the twelve are the twelve disciples, and they were previously, earlier in the chapter, it's verses 7 through 13, they were sent out two by two to go out into the world 
to the surrounding villages and countryside and to proclaim the kingdom of God that it has arrived, to call the world to repentance uh, before the Lord and to display the power of God. And they did those very things. Uh, they did wonders and signs which pointed to the proclaimed kingdom and the call to repentance. That's what they have done, and they have now returned. They've come home, uh, back to the Lord. Uh, they're back. And Jesus sees. Imagine, okay, let's try to have an accurate view of the disciples, which means they are men like we are. They're people like we are. They they're never doing something all right, and they're rarely doing something all wrong. So that you can imagine that while they're out doing ministry, great things are happening, and, and God is in it, and God moments like a missions trip, if you've ever been on a missions trip. There's God things happening, and God is clearly at work in the power of the Lord, but the person is still present. You know, there's times you could be doing something so holy and then be distracted two seconds later. You could be at ground zero with the Lord, pull out of the parking lot, get cut off, and be shallow. And I'm sure they're the same way. And they come back, and and the Lord sees. Jesus sees there's a need for them to rest. There's a need for us to come together and to be together. He sees this, and he cares for it. He doesn't give them some rookie speech like, you guys can't even handle it. When, when I was a kid, it doesn't do that. He says, come away, rest with me. Come away. Because there's all this buzz going around. It says they, can't, they couldn't escape. They couldn't even relax for a meal. They couldn't relax for a meal. But this makes me think, when, in my other life, when we deploy, we go over 20 or 30 guys. It's very fraternal. It's very tight. Even the guys you don't like, you love, uh, because you live with them, and you have so much in common. And so when you deploy, you go over as a group. But when you get to where you're going, the group gets divided. And so that most of your deployed experience is with one, two, maybe four guys. Because you're flying around the clock. Everybody's doing something different. It's busy. There's a lot of hard work to go. So you, 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 it's these three or four guys, but there's 20 or 30, and you're hearing all the stories of what's happening, all the what they do wrong. That's what you really hear is what they do wrong. Nobody tells cool stories. Everybody's looking to embarrass each other. And there's this, this, this culminating over the month or two months or three months, this culminating feeling like we need to get together, and then you come home. And it always happens somewhere in the Mediterranean, somewhere in Italy. We land. It's the first time you see all 30 of us together is in Italy. Oh, it's good. It's not all good. But the heart of it is so good. To come together or like around a meal, around a table, and even even in a fighter pilot pagan sort of way, there's such goodness in loving one another. That's what's missing here. And Jesus sees it. He sees like they've gone out and they've done this thing, and they're coming back and, and they're excited and exhausted. They are they have things to tell and questions to ask, and and they they have to see one another, and they have to connect around this. And so he says, come away. And so, and so he puts them in the boat. And the, what I have in my mind is almost like, you know, like when a rock band gets in the limo, you know, and drives off that I've never been in that situation. Um, but I imagine, you know, the windows go up and they go away, and the, they kind of, they, I always imagine them lounging in their skinny sort of way. And 
you can just see me like, ah, the, ah. Yeah, like we're, we're together, we're alone, we're out of here. I think that's the spirit of these, I mean, I think that's what the Lord's given. And it's good, right? The Lord gives us uh, cause to retreat in him. That's without question. And so they leave. But many follow. You see here, many, many saw them coming and going. This is verse 33. And they recognized them. Then they ran. Oh, this is a beautiful passage. Just imagine this, right? The buzz about the kingdom is so great. So there's this crowd, and they can't even get a, a word in edgewise or a meal. They can't sit. Right? There's this crowd. Well, they separate themselves from the crowd to be by themselves. And they're cutting across the lake in this boat. But the crowd is traveling on the ark around the lake. And as they travel, the crowd is getting bigger, not smaller. They're not escaping. This is a crescendo. People are going, what are you walking around the creek for? And they're like, well, this is, those are the, they, did you know what they did? And, oh, hey, Fred. And the towns are starting to empty out around the coastline. So the, they are exacerbating the very thing they were trying to escape. Can you imagine being in that boat? This is one of the twelve. Are you serious? Can't we get a few hours with him? I imagine that's what they're thinking. There goes the meal. So much for the meal. So much for the teacher. So much for our time. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a supposed crisis here, I think. Not a big crisis. It's not some theological crisis. It's, it's just one of those painful moments where you thought you were going to have something that was good, and you're not going to get it. Because no matter what they want, Jesus sees, this is what Jesus sees, Jesus sees people who are running after him into desolation so that they can know more about him. That's what Jesus sees. I mean, what they may feel is irrelevant when we see what Jesus sees. And Jesus sees this crowd, and he has compassion on them, for they are like sheep without a shepherd, is what it says. And so what does he do? He begins to teach you know, in fact, some people will say Jesus oftentimes retreats into desolation. If you look in the Bible, every single time I could find it was after daylight hours or before the sun was up. When it's day, and Jesus says this, right? It's day. The kingdom is here. This is the purpose, to do the works of him who sent me. And so here in the right of day, Jesus, this is why we're here. And so he begins to teach. There's such a theme, by the way, in this account. Mark is concise. The Gospel of Mark is concise. Uh, but I, I, he has some beautiful things that just sit right under the surface. And there is, in this entire account, this theme of hunger, right? He's, he's the only one who really says they hadn't had a chance to eat. So you have disciples who are hungry and can't get a meal. You have the people who are spiritually hungry and will go into a place of desolation in order to get fed by the Word. That's at this interplay. And what I want to draw your attention to is this. That the eyes of the shepherd, the eyes of the great shepherd of the sheep, 
are always on the hillside. It's on the hill. John, we know it's a hill he's, he's seated on. And the eyes of Christ, it's not that he doesn't see the twelve, it's that he sees the twelve and looks through the twelve and sees everyone who's there. The more godly our eyes become, the more like Christ our sight becomes, the more we see everyone who's here. Everyone who might know, anyone who has expresses the smallest appetite for the truth of God, the eyes of Christ sees. It's a great encouragement to me. It's a great encouragement that Jesus Christ's mission is ultimately not to try to hone and refine some magic group of elitist Christians. That is not what it is. The ultimate mission of Jesus is to bring the true revelation of his love and grace and of God's splendor to anyone who expresses interest and curiosity. He is, the message is for the least of these. He's a shepherd who sees the whole hillside. Now, no doubt... Jesus shepherds the twelve in a unique way. So I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about the twelve. He obviously cares about the twelve. He doesn't invest a tremendous amount of energy in the twelve. But he invests energy in them to make them shepherds. So the great shepherd of the sheep who sees the hillside invests time in these under-shepherds to do what? To make them like him. The goal of Jesus is not to pour into these twelve so that they know more about God, The goal of Jesus is to pour into the twelve so that they behave and act and think and incarnate the nature of Jesus, which is really about the hillside. But I think sometimes this appears as though in either or scenario, in the mind of Christians or in the life of the church, uh, this can feel like an either or scenario. Either we're seeker sensitive or we're a discipling church. Where does that, I don't, I I do know where that comes from. It's been in my life for almost 40 years. I don't know where it came from, though. There is no either or with Christ. It's not either we seek to respond to those who are seeking, God-seeking, questioning, who might, who might, I mean, it's not that he's choosing either to do that or to spend time with the disciples. He's taking the disciples and is doing them both. But I think in, the mind, in our minds, in the minds of the, of the church I grew up in, and, and I don't even know the right way to say this. I don't know. I don't know how hard to say this or how, how light to say this or to say we just need to do better. But I do think, I do think that in, in if, if you're new to, the, to our fellowship and you're traveling along and, and everything's hunky-dory, well, and you don't see this, maybe, maybe it's not tr- true in your setting. I'm saying I was raised in an environment that is very good, very good with the 12. Caring for the 12. I was raised in a Christian culture, much of which was at 505 Schoolhouse Road, that has a strong and noble and good appreciation for how to take a follower of Christ and walk them more deeply into the life of Christ? So much so that I'm encountered by the fact that Jesus is looking at the whole hillside. That when I see that, when I see that, 
it lands on me. And I think I'm an expression. I think I'm a, a spiritually genetic expression of a strong force in our church. That so carefully attentive to the heart of believers that when I see that Jesus, who was going to retreat with the believers and was going to invest in the believers and was going to spend a meal with the believers and was going to go deep with the believers, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then he doesn't. He stops at the hillside and he sees the whole hill. And he spends his day with the hill, feeding the hill, giving the hill the words of God, telling the hill the words of life, showing the hill his nature and his divine attributes, and telling the hill the way to life, and drawing all of the hill, the people way down at the base, drawing them thoughtful of the people. And he's not idealistic. The very next day, he's going to say things that scare half the people away. So it's not, I'm not saying in his mind that all of these people are here for the right reasons. Some of them are here for all sorts of reasons. And Jesus knows it, and he'll eventually deal with it. Nonetheless, his compassion radically extends to the hill. That is not part of my DNA. It's not part of my DNA and I grew up here. It's not in my genetic spiritual code to have profound compassion over people who are not yet followers. Because I got all this work to do with believers. So I imagine I'm not alone. In fact, I imagine the most mature believers in this room reflect this DNA the most. Jesus' compassion extends to people way beyond belief. Right? Salvation is for those who follow. His love and compassion outreaches that to draw people in. Right? It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. We each are reliant on the compassion of the Lord before our belief for the fact that we call Jesus Savior. The twelve or the hill. Right? For Christ, it's not an either or. It's a false dichotomy. Who's there? The twelve and the many are there. I'll give you a few examples. I don't. I want to give very, very few examples because... I don't want you to go, well, that's not so. I don't want you to do that. Right? So I'm keeping all my examples. I got thousands of them. Thousands of them. And I mean, and I'm the butt of most of them. Okay? But in, in our fellowship, just good examples. The ministries of our church are primarily designed, and I'm sorry if you're from Loma. I, 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 I'm, I'm from where I am. So most of this is maybe has Hocus in mind. Long term, it doesn't have Hocus in mind. It has the Church of Jesus Christ in mind. That's what it has in mind. But in our life in Hokesson, the ministries of our of our church in Hokesson are primarily developed around people who already agree with the ministries. So life group means something to you if you go to life group. Sunday school means something to you if you go to Sunday school. But half of the hillside, half of you will not go, do not go, do not see the relevance of or will commit to Sunday school. So how can we say we're really discipling? The hill. If half of the hill isn't in it. I mean, you see that either or? I would say Jesus would say, they're here. I'm going to feed them. 
Well, well, they're not in a ministry. They're here. And our ministries don't do anything. They're not people. Our ministries are ideas. So these ideas don't have legs or a heartbeat. They don't do anything to reach out and walk someone in. People in Christ is what matters to people coming to Christ. That's it. There's no other ministry in the church but to take someone who has the Spirit of God in them and the faith of Jesus, who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, and to stick that person in the life of another person. That is the total description of discipleship from the Lord. Is believers investing their life in believers. Not ministries. I have this irony on Good Friday. Oh, and this is from, uh, I'm sharing it with you, but you shouldn't feel bad. It's just one of these things when this has been with you for six months, and then you see this. It was just like, thank you, Lord. I really needed that. Uh, I'm coming up on Good Friday. I parked down to the professional building because to save parking. I'm walking up, and our parking lot is full because there is a t-ball game happening in our field. <sighs> Do you know every spring we put more cars in our parking lot for t-ball than for church? Man. Like, I've missed the hillside. We haven't taken advantage of that? <sighs> ah, good Friday. I want, I want you to show the, the, the response of the disciples. They say this. Send them away. You can imagine, they haven't had a meal all day. Sitting behind Jesus doing this? I had a sundial. Right? You know, this is, this is a profound irony, I think, in the fact that you have all of these people who have voluntarily foregone a meal to be with the Master, to hear His words of giving life. You have the disciples who are followers of Jesus, who have hunger in mind. Here he goes. He's doing the Beatitudes. We should be done. He's, about, he's got about 15 minutes to roll it up. Lesser the meek. Come on. All right. It's late. Jesus, it's late. Come on. We're crying out loud. Can we just go get a meal? Only like six of them are going to believe anyway. Yeah. I mean, I laugh. I laugh. Well, we, we talked about doing Alpha one year. Remember several years ago we did Alpha? By the way, Alpha is the feeding of 5,000. You provide a meal for free. So you break your fishes and loaves. The church breaks its fish and loaves and multiplies it for those who don't know Jesus. And we talk about the Lord. It's a great idea. And when we shared it, when it was shared with me, it was shared with me by a new member of our church. That's the first sign, right? That this, you know... In my life, Jeff Keith has brought more vibrant compassion for the lost than I've ever had in a friend. And that with this is changing me. We had a new family coming to church and they said, oh, we love being here. You're so good at discipling. We haven't been discipled. You see it? But they're like, but you know, you, they didn't say it this way, but you don't actually talk to people who don't know Jesus. We have this thing called Alpha we used to do. They were a great alpha church. They would alpha them all the way and then wouldn't feed them afterwards. 
So I, I, you know, I believed it intellectually. I didn't get it. Sure, alpha. Okay, let's do alpha. This is because it's my DNA. I knew it was technically right, but I doubted it would work. And I had this idea of why would you spend all that money? You're only going to get like one or two converts. That's not the perspective of the Christ. Right? I mean, to say that would to say that his sacrifice body is such a waste because of how few people come. And that's what we're saying. That the blood and body that Christ gave for us because a remnant of this world will respond to the love of Jesus? That that was... What if God had done the arithmetic on that? Man, people will come. If people show in your workplace, if they show an inkling, an inkling of curiosity for the things of God. Oh, we need a holy prayer in our life that we would have compassion for those who are curious or wandering in or alone or have some major problem that the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to. Anyway, the apostles... It's late. Send them home. And this is Jesus' response. He turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. So for me, it's like the Lord grabs my shoulders. I'm, I'm on the hill and I'm looking up at him on the hill. Okay? And I'm saying to the Lord, in whatever way, shape, or form this comes out, right? because I want to say this to you. And I need to say this to you because this is important. I, I or Terry or Jeff or the sum total of every single human pastor, shepherd on the face of this earth cannot be the great shepherd of the sheep. We are insufficient, insufficient for that. And, and I am overcome by the fact that our church should have more shepherds. We should have more shepherds. It exceeds my capacity to shepherd well. And when, when, because human men are of finite capacity, we find ourselves choosing either this or that. When Jesus does not choose either or, Jesus shows compassion and he cares, he lo love for the saints. He does them both. And we are, we have outstripped our ability to do that. And I'm not saying we need to hire more pastors. I'm saying I believe, first of all, I believe that the scriptures are consistent overwhelmingly consistent about the church calling pastors from in itself and from its own lady. I believe that what God calls is for people to be called of the Lord and qualified and in the church. And I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you every time I see you until you say yes to help us, allow us, celebrate us trying to find men in this fellowship who are qualified and called to shepherd the sheep. So that, you know, our finite eyes can collectively see the entire hillside. I believe every man, woman, and child in this church that would come in or that occasionally comes should be known by the eyes and life of a shepherd. That's what we believe, Terry, Jeff, and I convictionally believe that. It's one thing at Loma, when the numerical capacity, then this is it. Small churches start small, and so they live under a myth, which is one pastor is sufficient. Why? Because the numbers are small, but the principle's not there. And if, when, when the numbers get big and you don't have a guiding principle, and the Word is our guide, the Word establishes a plurality of shepherds, we end up with more who can care for all of these. 
I have to say that to you before we're done. And then I want to show you this last thing. The Spirit. This is the Spirit that the Lord shows them. The disciples, they haven't eaten all day. It's, I never really realized that in the text, that they haven't eaten all day. Send them away. I wonder if behind send them away is, can I get a meal? I certainly wonder if the notion is, I have drained myself in doing the work of the Lord because I haven't done it through the power of the Spirit. My love for people is gone. You know that? Right? Vacation Bible School is coming, so let me say this. We can do the work of the Lord without the Lord, which drains us in the sin. It steals from us a compassion for people. We can just muscle through it and hold our breath. Or we can serve humbly beneath the Lord with the Spirit of the Lord. And when you do that, it's a meal. It's like Jesus. Remember, Jesus met with the woman at the well. He shares. And the reason he's still visiting with the woman at the well is because the disciples have gone into town to get a meal and bring it back. And when they finally come back, and the woman's gone, but they come back, and they're like, who is she? This is a long story. And, and, and they say, well, here's the meal. And he says, I'm not hungry. You're not hungry? Why aren't you hungry? And he says, I, like, the work of the Lord is a meal to me. It's like, this is just, Jesus is saying, I have just feasted on the Lord. This is, these disciples, like us, have been doing the work of God without the Spirit of God, without relying on the Spirit of God. So they are not simply tired, they're drained. They are drained of compassion. And Jesus takes them, and he turns their shoulders around, and he points them at the hill, and he says, you go feed them. This entire miracle is for the disciples. I mean, there's no, there's no need for the food. There's no starvation. There's no real problem here. It isn't like there's an evening session, and the Lord uses this for an altar call. He doesn't do that, in fact. Verse 45, as soon as it's done, he dismisses the crowd. He feeds them and then says, go home. This is for the disciples. I'll say this. This is the way God matures his church. God takes the followers, those who follow, and he turns them around. And he makes them see the hill. In other words, you and I will never be mature in Jesus Christ until we adopt the same perspective of the hillside that he has. You can want to have time with Jesus. You can want to have Bible studies with Jesus. You can want to know more about Jesus. You can memorize the Psalms. You can learn Greek and Hebrew. It is irrelevant if the Lord cannot turn you around, show you the hill, say, go feed them, and then you go feed them. That is how, that is how our Christ is raising the 12 to be the shepherds of tomorrow. And that's how this church should continue to start to raise the Christians of tomorrow, to say, it is when we have a genuine compassion for the lost, the Holy Spirit works into us to mature us. You ever want to know why you don't memorize Scripture? If, if you were regularly sharing the gospel with someone else, you'd memorize it. It's doing the work of him who sent us is what matures us. Some of the last words Jesus said to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. It's my prayer that our church would foster a devout compassion. Not an academic compassion, a devout compassion 
for those who would be here. There's empty chairs here today. There's room on the hill. Amen. We pray. Lord, we give you this time now. Help us to respond to you. Lord, I ask you to turn us. Turn us to look behind us. There's, there's no one here who's in Christ who doesn't have someone behind them who's on their way to Christ. Father, I pray that we would be a church of campuses that at the same time call people into holy living and at the same time show a deep love and compassion for people who are not living holy but have ears to hear or some desire to know some something that would bring them Lord. Father, we confess that we are unable in our own strength to do this, Lord. I confess this for myself. I confess this for every person here, that, that we could try to hold our breath and, and grunt and, and do it, and we could do it for a while, but we would do it without joy, and the net result at the end of the day is less compassion for people, that our selfish need for a meal for sustenance, Lord, would, would begin to, to rule the day. And we would, we would lose love for people, Lord. Remind us, Lord, of, of, of this text that you fed the disciples as they were feeding. Lord, they had their meal that night amidst the people on the hill and not with you, Lord. That's what it means, Lord. You make us feast with the lost. But Lord, I pray from every corner of this church, Lord, that that we would recognize three of our four neighbors don't know Jesus. We would recognize that the work of him who sent us is to speak of the kingdom to a world that is perishing. I pray this in Jesus' name.